welcome to the first episode of Cracking Foundation. I'm pretty sure we're pretty sure that's the name. If, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, if you if you clicked on a, a title that's different, that means we change our mind between recording this and actually uploading it. So ostensibly, welcome to the first episode of Cracking <laughs> Foundation. My name is Lynn. I'll be your host, and I have here with me my co-host Eric. Yes. Uh... I'm Eric. I'm also the unapologetic geek. I, I, uh, let's see. I, I'm a novelist and I'm a YouTuber and I am a blogger and I'm a stay-at-home dad. And all that is a really long-winded way of saying that I don't know how to make money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just uh, go check out my YouTube channel at the unapologetic. Um, there's two unapologetic geeks on YouTube. Just be warned. The other one's like a weightlifter or something. So don't, don't watch that guy's videos. Watch mine. <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll probably figure out very quickly whether or not you're at the right channel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it shouldn't take long. Is he talking about Arnold or does he look like Arnold? So that's, right, right, that's exactly. Probably yeah. the differentiator. Yeah. <laughs> and my name is Lin, and I am much ado about nerd things on YouTube. Well, I that's guess nerd things. <laughs> yeah, nerd things. Yes, I made it. <laughs> audio pun that is very difficult for me to say uh especially my channel is about nerdy things it's very marvel heavy right now because disney plus keep making marvel shows that i really like uh they are all really good yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> look well there'll be more uh different stuff there later and including i'm uh, probably gonna post a video there about foundations and the reason this podcast came about and this came together very quickly. Yeah, it was very uh, spontaneous. Yeah, Eric, oh, you didn't actually uh, describe your channel. Uh, you're a big sci-fi guy. Uh, you, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, most of my videos are about sci-fi movies. I'm a big sci-fi nerd, and uh, all my videos are about old sci-fi movies, like at least 30 years old. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm really big in the 80s lately. So lots of The Running Man and The Last Starfighter movies like that. I also have a, channel, a website where I talk about science fiction books. Um, and over the summer, I actually covered the entire Foundation series. So I have read the Foundation series. I've actually read it twice. I read it once when I was a kid and I read it again this year. Um, so that's, that's what I'm bringing to the table, but don't be afraid. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to spoil too much from the books because Lynn here has not yes. read the books. I would also consider myself a big science fiction nerd, but I grew up in Burma and English is my second language. So a lot of what people might consider to be pun intended foundational text, <laughs> um, sci-fi, fantasy, even like childhood literature, I um, either have read it back uh, because they're classics as a teenager or, or an adult, or I haven't read it at all. And Foundation is actually one of the um, crack in my knowledge base. I I know it's part in the nerdy sci-fi canon, as <laughs> if you will, uh, but I have never read it. Uh, I've read uh, other Asimov work. Um, I've uh, gone back and read the Culture series, which I constantly used to mix up between like the culture and the foundation because they, they, they're just two uh, <laughs> specific <laughs> nouns, you know, the big sci-fi noun. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, but they're both uh, very important in the sci-fi literature. Um, so uh, you were very excited about this show coming up. Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. And uh, because you're a big fan of the original, um, of the book, I saw the trailer and I was very excited because I'm a big fan of sci-fi and I'm like, finally, 
um, I can watch instead of read. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now I really want to read. And you, after watching two episodes, now I really want to go back and read. And you're like, no, you can't until the series finishes. <laughs> So, I need a fresh perspective. Right. Yes. <laughs> so what happened is the first two episodes dropped and I watched it first because, oh, we also forgot to say I'm uh, All right. in, I'm in Australia and Eric is in America. So we're actually um, uh, 15 hour apart time zone wise. So I watched the first Ellen two here's in the future. <laughs> yeah. So you're like the flashback and I'm the flash forward. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I... Yeah, so I quickly consumed that uh, the first two episodes, and I was very excited to talk about it with you. But you were probably still asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so I sent you a bunch of messages, and you woke up, you saw it, and then we just ended up talking about it for like a couple of hours on, over. Yeah, chat. it was a long time. We were just chatting. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and then at the end of it, I just floated this idea: Why don't we just hey, if we're gonna do this every week, which look like we're going to and we seem to have a lot to say about this show why not just turn it into a podcast hey. and you agree and here we are so come on this journey with us and like <laughs> <laughs> like eris said because i don't want to be spoiled as to exactly what's going to happen and but i like a lot of you are also curious as to um the differences and how it differ from the original text so eric is probably going to talk about how it differ as it become relevant in the show but we're not going to talk about future events he's just going to remain oblique if he have knowledge about future events as to not spoil it for me and for you so if you if you have read it uh, um, if you've read Foundations, this is going to be a good podcast for you to follow along and laugh at my ignorance. And if you <laughs> if you haven't read Foundations, it's going to be a good podcast for you to follow along and essentially tricked and misled by Eric. So either yes. way, it's fun for everyone. I will be your Harry Seldon. You'll have to just <laughs> guess what's part of the plan and what's not. Yeah. And who will I be? Uh, there's not really a lot of ignorant people in this show so far, is there? Uh, not really. No. Depends on what you feel about the emperor, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, he he knows what he he knows what he knows, but he he he's very like I don't know, full of himself. He he thinks he knows more than he knows. Yes, yes. Right. You know, and, and there's a very good scene that highlights that. We'll we'll get to that soon. We'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, Eric, do you want to add anything before we start? Just getting straight into it well one thing uh people who know me from my website and my youtube videos might be a little surprised when i say fuck a lot because <laughs> that's what i do and for this podcast i'm letting myself be free <laughs> yes wait <laughs> I'm are, gonna you gonna say say, some shit. are you gonna say the word fuck a lot or are you gonna say fuck a lot like, <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if that's what you want to do but, yeah, i don't think they tuned in to hear that <laughs> um and of course, if you've seen my channel, I uh, don't know how to talk without swearing. <laughs> I don't think I do it unnecessarily, but you know, <laughs> when when it calls for it, and when you're talking about nerd and nerd culture, it calls for it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we figured foundation is pretty mature stuff, so right. like we're not we're not going to be freaking yeah. out any twelve year olds or anything, right? <laughs> So, but and if you're a kid and you're watching Foundation, you shouldn't be. It's not exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. So you know, don't tell your parents that you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was the kind of twelve year old that would. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was completely in charge of my own entertainment. So yeah, I definitely consume things that are way beyond my age. I saw Alien when I was nine. Oh Kinda my traumatized god! Traumatized me. <laughs> 
I saw, I, I don't remember how old I was, but I saw um, Ninja Scroll pretty young. There you yeah. go. <laughs> you know, for years, I thought that was Ninja Squirrel. Oh, uh, wait, even after watching the movie? No, no, not. And once I oh, watched okay. it, I knew, but like before <laughs> okay. that, yeah. When okay. people would talk about it at school, they'd be like, Ninja Squirrel. Squirrel? Are you saying squirrel? <laughs> that seems like a much better movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway without further ado all right uh, oh and of course um this first episode will cover the first two episodes of the show because they drop two at once so yeah if you're looking at the time code and you're seeing how long this episode is don't worry not every episode is going to be this long uh yes uh, ideally <laughs> yeah we don't know we, we uh, actually don't know we can't do I don't promise anything, but hopefully logic dictate that the future episodes will be shorter. So let's start with the first episode. So okay. do we want to, I mean, I think people have seen it, but we'll do a quick. Yeah, I think you uh, should do a quick recap just to get everybody up to speed, just in case it's been a while since they watched. Yes. So the quick recap is start on Terminus. A bunch of kids daring each other to go closer to this mysterious floating vault, which has a field around it that make any, not just humans, any uh creatures that come close to it essentially like get vertigo and, and pass out right they were talking about like birds and stuff can't even get yeah. close to it. right yeah yeah and uh, one of the kids uh, one <laughs> they're daring each other to get uh, as close as possible and they have little flags that are trying to mark their progress and one of the kids in the process pass out and get rescued by somebody who they called the warden and she also have a name which you'll probably remember. It's um, Salver Harden. Yeah. Salver Harden. Okay. Um, and then uh, the, we learned quite a few basic things like they don't really they don't seem to know what the vault is for. Um, and then we go back to thirty five years ago and we get. Um, you you neglected to mention that this kid was motivated by being able to touch some boobs. Yes, the first kid was. <laughs> the not first the, kid, yeah. Yeah. Not not the, the other kid. kid was like, no, I'm going to do this because I want to yeah. do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. One. <laughs> I thought it was uh, very funny when uh, it started, and they're like, and they were like negotiating times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can touch one or see or see both. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we go, we go back um, 35 years ago, and the whole time is getting narrated by somebody. In the in the subtitle, it just says narrator, which is uh, important to point out. Uh, right, because I'm 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 old and deaf, so I I always watch with subtitles. So that that was something I noticed right away. Like, wait a minute, it's not it's not named, yeah. but it does sound like, like the, the actress, actress who, who plays Gail. Yeah, um, and I always watch a subtitle too because English is my second language, and sometimes it's hard uh, for me to pick sense. up accent. Right. Yeah. Like if if a if a person accent is quite thick, which in sci-fi they you do a wide array of X, um, I can't pick up particular words. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I think I'm going too in-depth with this summary. Um, I'll do a quick summary and then we'll go over it all of it. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll try uh, to shut up. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so what we learn is um, Gail is from a planet which uh, frowned upon mathematicians and scientists. And she solves, like she won like a Willy Wonka type math contest. <laughs> she solved <laughs> uh, all unsolvable equation and was selected um, to go. Yeah, she was recruited by the Star League to fight uh, Zer and the Kodan Armada. Oh wait, that's that's less <laughs> Starfighter, sorry. <laughs> that's not math, that's, that's an update. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so she became, she was recruited to be the protege to this controversial figure, Dr. Harry Seldon. And it's heavily- oh, okay. I, have to inter I have to interject one more time. Yep. In, for my entire life, in my head canon, it's been pronounced Harry Seldon. Uh, so hearing everybody say Harry is like, 
who are you talking about? Who's Harry? <laughs> so just just know when I talk about it, I'm probably going to say Harry just because it's locked into my brain for the last you know, 30 years. Just get that out of the way. <laughs> I really like that. Actually, uh, I'm going to interrupt myself as well. I really like that, uh, like, Gale, Harry, they all, like, uh, nominally, like, common names that we already have, but spelled differently, which I, I think is really good because that's how names work. If you go oh, yeah, back, totally. yeah. If you yeah. go back and look at like old Anglo-Saxon version of modern's name now, like they still pronounce the same, but they were spelled differently back then. And then, absolutely, yeah. What, what, yeah, when we see it in sci-fi, we just think it's like, oh, they're being cute or quaint, and we're <laughs> like, why would people forget to how to spell Harry or Gale? Or why would people change the spelling? But it happens. It has happened. Yeah, in people the past. are doing it today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> get all, all kinds of weird spellings i'm airing with a y you know yes. yeah <laughs> so anyway uh, i won't judge you for um saying hari but i will try to correct you every time just to annoy. <laughs> uh, i will just go tell you to go fuck yourself That's, yeah. <laughs> um and as she leaves her planet um it is heavily implied that she is leaving just ahead of um getting into trouble with her a government for being a scientist and when she gets there uh it's quickly revealed to her that harry is on the verge of getting arrested he thinks he'll be get arrested the next day and sh so will she and he invited her knowing that that would will likely happen and the reason he's about to get arrested is he has perfected supposedly this field study called psychohistory and in perfecting its this ultimate equation in that field, he can predict the future of large population, and he has predicted the downfall of the empire, which is considered um, heretical. Well, I guess heretical is not the word. More like, like dangerous. Like, yeah, yeah, like it's a yeah, it, like an insurgency, um, inciting kind of um, uh, knowledge. So, um, and the empire is being ruled by a, the genetic dynasty, which is a clone of the same person. And it happens as predicted. Gil get arrested. Gil also meet Harry's assistant, Rach. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I I don't. It, it seems like they're going with who Rach is uh, in the in the show, uh, but in the books, and I have a feeling I'm going to be saying those words a lot in the books. But uh, in the books, um, Rach is Harry Harry's uh, like uh, adopted son. Like yeah. that's how he treats him. He's, he he pulled him up from poverty, and and yeah. he just became a mathematician like him. Well, not really a mathematician, but he worked with. Him. Yeah, 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 yes. And the, <clears throat> there's clearly chemistry both ways there very quickly. Yeah, and it then, works. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's also a delegation from two um, quibbling planet uh, meeting with the Empire. Anacreon uh, and I can't remember the other one. Yes, that would uh, T. I think. P. Yeah, I don't uh, remember. <laughs> Anacreon, I know, because Anacreon is in the books. The other one, not so much. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, uh, continuing the summary, uh, <laughs> they get arrested and uh, they get put on trial for dangerous ideas. And what the Empire want from um, Gale is to denounce, uh, check Harry's mess, or just say she did. And they don't care whether or not it is true. They care a little bit. But what they really want is for her to denounce it publicly, um, that the math is wrong, and um, then she will be spared, but Harry will be killed. She didn't do that. She announced publicly that the math is correct, the Empire is facing a downfall, and they get brought on in front of the Emperor, ostensibly to uh, get murdered. Uh, but before that, 
there's a massive terrorist attack on the space elevator on Trento, which is the capital planet, um, the power base of the empire that they are. And yeah, it's basically a big, big city the size of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's if you think Coruscant, Coruscant is essentially ripped off of Trento. Yes, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Um, with many different levels, um, with richest people uh, up top being able to see the rear sky and poor people down below that only see the um, mechanical simulation of a sky. Well, nobody really wants to see the real sky in the books. Like, I don't know if they are going to go into this in the in the series, but like in the books, people just psychologically, they're so used to living under under a dome that they don't, they're scared of the actual sky. Oh. Yeah, okay. even rich people, they, they don't go up to the sky very often. I'm like that with trees because I got hay fever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we got these like dogwood trees where I live and they're, they are they stink. They literally smell like dog poop. They, they smell like dog shit. Just walking around outside. Mm, dog shit. Great. <laughs> why, why would you plant those trees? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> Um, anyway, this big terrorist attack um, essentially killed like 100 million people, right? Like massively right. Um, untold numbers of deaths. And it changes everything, um, which leads to the Empire the, deciding to exile um, Harry and Gale to work on their foundation, which is something um, Harry Seldon proposed, which when the Empire fall. Um, they will need a foundation to rebuild upon, um, uh, like a knowledge base. Uh, they call it Encyclopedia Galactica, right? That's correct, uh, the Encyclopedia Galactica. Yeah, um, something that uh, society can use so they, quote unquote, don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, so they essentially, uh, try. the emperor and the empire is trying to have the cake and eat it too. They get rid of Harry and Gil to the edge of the known uh, known galaxy in exile, but they uh, are allowed to work on the foundation. So if the situation become that the foundation is needed and Harry is right, they will co-opt it to help the regime. Um, if they turn out to be wrong, they will probably be killed. And, right. Um, it's a win-win for the Yeah, empire, it's a win-win. As they see it. Yeah, yeah. In, the, in the eye of Cleo, it is. Cleon. Cleon yeah. is a win-win. And that episode, how did that episode end with? I can't quite remember. I, I, was, I, was, I was thinking too, yeah, so did I. I was like, where did the first one end and the second one start? <laughs> um, I, I think you pretty much covered it. Yeah, I think it is definitely at the end of... Because um, yeah, uh, then they flash forward out. very briefly and they show Salver like getting up to the vault and like touching it. That's how it ends. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, so that's episode one. So I guess we just now we just t want to talk about whatever we want to talk about in episode one. Right. Um, now, from my perspective, episode one, I mean, episode one was uh, it was a lot closer to to the books, like in terms of like what happens is is stuff that happens in the book, like some of it, not all of it, but some of it. Um, the basic the basic idea of Gale going down to Trantor, meeting Hari Seldon, and then both immediately going on trial and being exiled to Trantor. That, that's all directly out of it. Yeah. But that's, the like, main, that's how the first book starts. But the main difference, as you told me, is that in the book, Harry doesn't go on the exile. No, he does not. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that when we get to the second episode. But yeah, he uh, in, the, in, the, in the book, he stays behind. Yeah. Okay, so um, I do have, like I said, because I know the place 
um, uh, of this text as uh, you know uh, in the big sci-fi canon i do have some basic knowledge about foundation before seeing the show i i did know that it was about a mathematician who started this foundation for humanity to rebuild after its downfall i vague like i don't know the specific power dynamic of the empire emperor and harry but i do know that it was like he he said that in like he predicted that at the height of a empire that the empire will fall and they will need to rebuild and he made this foundation and yeah um isaac asimov when he wrote the first foundation which he actually wrote as a series of short stories but um he was he was riffing off of the fall of the roman empire he wanted people to remember that no matter how stable something seems, like a government or a society, it could be falling apart. It could be rotting on the inside and nobody really knows. Like that, yeah. that, that was like a big thing he wanted to get across with this. Yeah. Did he say anything on uh, what happened when society doesn't seem like it's got anything under control at all? Because I really need some answers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, usually, <laughs> well, here's the good news. If you can tell that the society is falling apart, that means it's already unavoidable. It's going to happen. There's nothing. You can oh, do good. That's so, great. Yeah. Um, very, very timely uh, show to draw. Hopefully we'll get through this podcast before all of society collapses. Yes. Yes. We we'll find ourselves oh, in so you think we'll last nine weeks? I, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm not good at math. <laughs> so, Yeah. When I said um, I had that prior knowledge, so when I started that show, when I saw the vault, right, I yep. immediately, uh, because I brought this um, that, this baggage with me, I immediately thought that is the foundation, or later, as I know, the proper term is probably the Encyclopedia Galactica. But that doesn't add up, uh, and that's part of the mystery, and because, as we know, after the episode, especially after the second episode, but I think we still know by the end of the first episode that they're going to the, um, there's nobody on Terminus. They're founding Terminus. They're going to Terminus to found the colony and they are supposed to build the foundation there. And the flesh forward is 35 years later, yeah. right? Only so, 35 years, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that the the colonists who are supposed to be building this thing would have built it, forgotten what it is for, and treated it as a complete mystery in 35 years. So there is actually more to the vault than what I think it is. With, well, you know, it only took, what, 20 years for that one galaxy to forget about Jedi? So, mm, yes, yeah. <laughs> which, which is a source of annoyance for both of us a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Australians will understand when I say that's like Australia and New Zealand forgetting about the Anzacs now. We're just saying like Anzacs, those are just myths. And it will be- Okay, okay Lynn, stop stop speaking Austin. Speak, <laughs> speak, speak American, Dan. <laughs> Australian New Zealand Army Corps is-, is <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. uh, I literally yeah. did not know that. Because I'm, I'm an ignorant American. <laughs> well, it'll be like it'll be like if you guys forgot the Minutemen existed. Now, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think there's a lot of that going around <laughs> yeah, actually. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. The people who remember are misremembering what they did. <laughs> yeah, there's some of that for sure. <laughs> um. So yeah. So the vault is like uh, already after episode one wrapped. Not only there a lot of mystery, even things I thought were answered for. Uh, mysteries that leads me to, to what i would really really want to get across um i know that there's going to be some purists who like who've read foundation like a million times and who were expecting this to follow the books but it does not 
Okay, I just want to get that straight. I mean, yeah, the basic plot beats are the same, but like, there's a lot of stuff here that's not following the books. It's going in a completely different direction. And I actually think that's a good thing because it keeps the mystery alive. And if you know anything about Asimov, you know that he writes, he's a mystery writer disguised as a sci-fi writer. All of his books are mysteries. They're like, even like straight up murder mysteries if you go to the robot books. And I think that that's kind of where they're trying to go with this. They're trying to make it more mysterious, even for people who've read the books. And I love that about this. I think that is a genius move. Um, so I, I am worried about spoiling things, but at the same time, even stuff I know might be complete misdirection. So just, just want to get that out there. Okay. And if you go to the robot books, you can tell that Isaac Asimov not only liked murder mystery, but he also loved Convert. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially that vintage 1995 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen the movie iRobot, we're making fun of the product placement in that movie. I, I actually love that movie, but that I, is I do too. I do too. That product placement is so yeah. indefensible. I, I also, people make fun of the design of the robots in that movie. And I love, but I love the fact that they look like IMAX. They look yeah, like yeah, I think it was IMAX. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to first talk about um, Gail and her first introduction, like and her religion? Sure. Um, the planet name that she came from is the same. It's like Synax or something yes, like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember that. I remember that name from the book, although I don't really remember anything about it from the book. I don't think they really talk about it. Yeah. This whole religion angle is kind of new. Like, oh, I right? think, okay. I think it was hinted at in the book, but not really openly discussed that much, um, which is fine. Uh, yeah. It gives it gives Gail more personality because in the books, Gail is like a nothing character. Uh, also, right. she's a guy. Because okay. in the books, most of the main characters are just old white dudes. Um, yeah. So, but I, but just to be clear, Isaac Asimov was a big humanist, and later on in his career, he tried to be a lot more, well, what we would say, inclusive these days. Um, but back then, he he was writing in the 1940s when he wrote Foundations. I mean, there was a certain way to get things published, and that was to write about white men. Yeah. Um, so, like, I I want to be clear that I have no objection to the changes to like gender and race of a lot of these characters especially since they have such odd names like yeah. gail is the, it's the same name um but but it works for a man or a woman so yeah it's cool yeah and i totally support that decision i think it, it's it's totally in line with asimov and it makes the future seem more realistic because yes. yeah of course that's what's going to be like and a lot of these classic sci-fi is like as you said uh sea of beige heterosexual man <laughs> and um sometimes it doesn't even reflect the intention of the author uh yeah. they, they could have inclusive viewpoints but just not necessarily know how to express it and sometimes they are explicitly told to keep it male-centric by publishers uh we have like uh, very clearly recorded instances of that happening. Especially no, no, Asimov, Asimov had to fight really hard uh, for a couple of strong female characters. Uh, there's one in the Foundation series that I'm not going to talk about because that would be a spoiler, but there's another one from the robot books, uh, Sarah Calvin, um, who like he really had to fight to make her a main character. Like the publishers were all against it, well, except for his main publisher, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he had to really fight for it. Like he was very vocal about how he felt about the need for other voices in literature. Yeah. Um, so that's why I don't have any problem with changing yeah. these characters up. 
Bit. And a lot of the voices in sci-fi are essentially futurists as well, and they yeah, yeah. they would be in their philosophy to imagine this kind of inclusive um, utopia ideal of future. So, like, if you're the kind of people who are complaining about this being woke, I'm pretty sure like you've already turned this off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't don't come at it from the angle of like oh they're changing things and they ruining Asimov visions or whatever because this is like I don't think none none of this like undermine Asimov vision like if you're mad about it just be honest to yourself like <laughs> you're mad about it for other reasons you brought to the table <laughs> yeah the the genders and races of the characters and foundation make absolutely no difference <laughs> like it's not like they're changing anything yeah. foundational. <laughs> about the characters and like, considering the nature of, and the size of the empire it makes yeah. sense that it will be diverse <laughs> there is one thing that asimov talks about like in some of his stories i don't remember if he talks about it in foundation but he does talk about it in a couple other places where like different societies breaking off onto different planets they would start to like homogenize a little bit like you would see a planet full of white people or a planet full of black people or a planet full of this oh, or a okay. planet full of that but that was just like a natural evolutionary thing and a psychological thing not Especially not a, if it is a colonial thing because right yeah like i imagine they haven't spread out to cover the whole planet and they only stay in one area of the planet i imagine that would be yeah most of the planets of the galactic empire are actually not fully colonated it's right. just like a piece of a planet that is that is like suitable for life yeah. right well especially because um if you consider logically um the idea of terraforming right uh because uh to me this series foundation seem to be closer to hard sci-fi than space opera it does have like a lot of space opera element to it because it's a massive empire and um and a very far-reaching story but the technological basics seem to be like real sci-fi. Um, yeah, I mean, like this is this is my fanboy showing, but that's what Asimov was really good at. Yeah. He was really good at, he straddled that line between like the hard sci-fi writer who's really attentive to the scientific details and the the soft sci-fi writer, the fantasy sci-fi writer. He was like right in the middle. He, he found that perfect sweet spot where he was, he paid attention to the science and he definitely explained it when he needed to, but he didn't let that hinder his imagination. Yeah. Like, he, he still wanted to tell a certain kind of story and he was able to, but he was also able to be true to the science. And he was mostly true to the philosophy of science. That was what he thought was most important, which is correct, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just saying what you said about the homogenizing of things, it would make sense if you think about the idea of uh, when you terraform, have to terraform a small area first. And right, yeah. The terraforming a whole planet will probably be next to impossible and unnecessary at some point, right? And would take millennia, yeah. 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 So um, I want to touch a little bit on the the religion that she um, come from, which is I think the parallels are intentional. It immediately kind of make me think of like uh, witch trials. Um, yeah, yeah that, definitely. Uh, she's being chased out um, and she leaves. And the, the, there is a quote later, like one step ahead of arrest because she's scientifically minded and mathematically minded. And there is uh, a little bit of a on the nose uh maybe part political commentary later one of the reasons she's hated is because she told her planet that the seas are rising and nah, that's you... just liberal nonsense <laughs> <laughs> 
if you look at the shot of the planet um, early in the first episode, they live on like floating villages. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's after the <laughs> zeros or before. <laughs> well, that's before they're really fucked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very surprising to me that you told me that that's added on later in the show because it's one of the other things I feel is very central to the the themes of this show. Uh, no, like religion definitely does play a theme, does play yeah. a role in Foundation. It's just like I was trying to say earlier and got sidetracked. Gail is is a really vanilla character. Yeah. In the book, he is just not that he's not that big of a, a deal. He's just like yeah. he's a POV character just to introduce you to Hari Seldon, to introduce you to the idea of Foundation. Then he kind of just disappears from the story. Yeah. Like he there's not much to him. Um yeah. but uh, but this seems to be turning Gail into the closest thing we've got to a main character so far. For, um, for now. Which, for now. It should, episode, could definitely two. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it some more at the end of episode yeah. two. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah I, I, and I don't necessarily mean religion being central to it. I just mean like uh, what, what's central to, what seems central to the themes of this show is that her being uh, somebody who is trying to tell the hard truth to society who doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, they, uh, I think they were trying deliberately giving her a parallel with yeah, Ari Seldon, which yeah. was smart, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's not really present. Yeah, and she is dark skin, and the way the prayer uh, beads that they have embedded onto the face also evoke a sense of like like Indian. I'm the sorry. The forehead, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. Prayer pray dot, I think, is the yeah, accurate the, way to so. say it. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm using the wrong terminology. I'm not super familiar with that. I'm not. I'm American. I don't care about other cultures. <laughs> well, I feel like I should be a little bit more familiar with it. There's actually a large Indian uh, uh, population in Burma, but what they call it in Burmese doesn't have any translation word. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess the major thing with the first episode is introduction of Harry Seldon. Yeah. Um, and I guess the empire and the emperor as well. So let's talk about the supposedly parallel, but also mirrored forces. Let's start with yeah. Harry. What do you, as a book reader, uh, what do you think of Harry? Okay, their version, okay, Harry Seldon is, I know earlier I was talking about how the swapping of genders and the swapping of races didn't matter, yeah. but for Harry, it kind of does, uh, yeah. because Harry Seldon was, he's Isaac Asimov, like, okay. Asimov was writing for himself, like, yeah. Harry Seldon is the closest thing you get to okay. Isaac Asimov putting himself in a book, okay. um, and they cast Jared Harris, who you might know from Chernobyl, a couple other things he is absolutely perfect pitch perfect he is, he's the tv show brilliant. not the design. yeah not the actual event yeah, yeah. He, he didn't he didn't do it this isn't like <laughs> this isn't like a conspiracy theory <laughs> oh, and if he did good for him it gave him a career later in life so. <laughs> he's he's absolutely perfect um they got they nailed the character of harry self aside from calling him harry which is gonna bother me till the end of my days <laughs> i also really like the prime radiant that he has which oh, is yeah. like a you know the little device that shows the math in like this weird holographic sphere yeah that is pulled almost directly from my own imagination like that's exactly how i pictured it in my head i know uh, he described it in the book a little tiny bit differently i think it it projected onto the walls instead of being like a big sphere. Yeah. But in my brain, it was always a hologram. Like yeah. in my brain, that's what it always looked like. Um, yeah, so I, I was really impressed with that. I was kind of blown away that they stole my my brain. I think that shape is a variation of a tesseract. And which, yeah, definitely. Which is yeah. not, uh, I'm not talking about the, uh, I am and I am not talking about the tesseract from Marvel because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is called the tesseract because the shape 
of uh, a, a geometrical supposedly impossibility uh, is called a tesseract. Yeah, basically, um, a tesseract is a is a three dimensional unfolded version of a four dimensional object. Yeah, it's not to be confused with a hypercube, which is a three dimensional representation of a four dimensional object. Hypercube <laughs> is a train thing that they build. Well, it is also the underrated sequel to the movie Cube. So yeah. Oh really? I yeah. thought it was called Cube Two. <laughs> it's called Cube Two colon Hypercube. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's interesting to me that uh, you said uh, Harry is a Asimov insert because Absolutely. are you supposed to trust him in the book? Because I don't trust him at all. He's up to some shit. <laughs> well, if you've read a lot of Asimov like I have, you know you don't trust Isaac Asimov either. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's good because, like, yeah. immediately, look. I know the references I'm going to make, especially if you come uh, as somebody who read Foundation and is a literature lover, seems like a slap in the face, but <laughs> hear me out. He seems Professor Dumbledore slash Professor X kind of archetype. <laughs> he does kind of fit that mold, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've actually read Isaac Asimov's autobiography, which is like insanely long. It's like 800 pages. Um and there's one thing that he is completely unapologetic about, and that is that he is an egotistical bastard. So okay. if you like think that he's a Professor X know-it-all or a you know a yeah. Dumbledore know-it-all kind of character, yeah. yeah, he is, and so is Asim. He was a big know-it-all and didn't hide it. <laughs> okay, so the the as somebody who hasn't read the book, um, it quickly become apparent to me that a lot of the tension that's gonna be in this show is what's part of Harry's plan and what's not part of Harry's plan, like what's foiling Harry's plan. And you're always going to question that, uh, question every event in that uh, dichotomy and uh, whether or not Harry is, uh, quote unquote, to be reductive, a good guy. Like I even do a very basic uh, um, le level, I even question the Brian Radian and psychohistory. I think it is very apparent that we're supposed to question whether or not he really is predicting the future or is he inciting the downfall of the empire? Uh, I like uh, where your brain's at. Your brain is where it should be. Yeah, these are the kind of questions you should be asking. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think the math is completely fake, right? Like, the Gale didn't look at it and say this is gibberish. And I, yeah, I Harry think... Seldon is not a con man. Like, yes. He's, yeah. he's well, got like, plans within a... plans within plans, right. but he's not, he's not yeah. making it all up. Yeah. yeah. So the question is, like, not whether or not he's making everything up wholesale, but is, it, is the formula even, uh, instead of predictive, like, causative like is, is he calculating it into his model himself right because there is even that scientific principle of in measuring a particle you affect that's the like, heisenberg uncertainty principle yes <laughs> i think that would have to apply to it like right is is the rise of psychohistory revealing of psychohistory and its prediction to the galaxy part of the equation of psychohistory Listen to this meaningful silence while I refrain from answering that question. Right. So I'm <laughs> asking the right questions. <laughs> and of course, sitting opposite to him is the emperor. Uh, well, right. he liked to think he is. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure if he's actually matching wit with Harry. Uh, but he does have a lot of nukes and spaceships. So that's as good as intelligence. Uh, he's definitely got all the power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And this is another difference from the book that you've told me um, since the last 24 hours since we started to, <laughs> decided to well, start. When I, when, I, when I heard that they were making a series about Foundation and right away they announced that uh, Lee Pace was going to be in it and that he mm -hmm. was going to be this character called Brother, uh, he's, he's Brother Day. Yeah. Um, I was like, what? I, like, there's no Brother Day in the books. That what? Who is Brother Day? What is that? It sounds like a weird religious cult member or something. <laughs> um, and also, I've only seen Lee Pace in like the MCU as a uh, Ronan. Ronan, and in the Hobbit movies where he plays the, the like evil elf dad or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I didn't. I don't really like him in those roles because I think that those characters are like generic megalomaniacal idiots. I like him fine as Ronan, but Ronan is a one note character. Yeah, like he's not. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. He's just like those are the only things I've seen him in, and his characters were really weak. He didn't have a lot to work with, in my opinion. Well, um, I love him because I know him originally from Pushing Daisy. Yeah, which I haven't seen. So. Yeah, he's amazing in that. Like, and he played a very like he played the main character. It's like it's like a uh, fairy tale, and he essentially play like a modern version of a prince charming, a very lovable. Um, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. So Lee Pace, you weren't expecting oh, much from him. I wasn't expecting much from him, and I didn't know what the character was. So like, okay, here we go. In the books, uh, there is no genetic. I mean, there is kind of a genetic dynasty, but it's 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 inbreeding, not cloning. Right. Um, you're run off the mail. Um, you're uh, run of the mill emperor empire thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. and it it does change hands a few times. Like, it doesn't always stay in the same dynasty. Yeah. Um, Mountbatten, in, the Windsors kind of deal, not. Right. Exactly. <laughs> And in the books, there are like a series of emperors. It's not just one guy. It's not just Cleon. Um, yeah. uh, but Cleon is the, one of them, I take it? Cleon is one of them, yeah, yeah. And in Foundation, it is Cleon who's, who exiles Harry Seldon. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like Cleon the Ninth or something. It's not Cleon the Third. Um, yeah. But here... I think this one is Cleon the Twelfth, they said. Something I think like so. That. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's just like a one in a long line yeah. of clones that are, they're like, they're they're taken out of the bottle. They're decanted when they're different ages or when they're young, and then like they grow up to become. I yeah. think I'm not sure they really lay this out, but it seems logical that yeah. then the the young one becomes the middle one, yes. and the middle one becomes the old one. Well, they um, kind of lay they kind of lay that out, but we don't know when they do the switch. We don't know when the, when dusk get retired, day become dusk, and dawn become day, and they recant a new dawn. And it's kind of an interesting system because like right. very the, the guy who plays day wouldn't want to lose his power. So he wouldn't want right. dusk to go away. Yes. But at the same time, dawn would want to become day. Yes. So like there, there's this constant like pressure to keep moving forward. Right. So I think that's really interesting. Um, no, but this change, I think, is actually ingenious. I think it's perfect. I thought and it I was know... from the books. And when you said it wasn't, I was like, well, this is this is a very good thing they came up with. It's one of those things that's like so smart. I can't believe it wasn't in the books, you know, like, <laughs> because a big part of, you know, the empire falling is that it's, it's stagnated. It's that mm. it's, it's not, it doesn't have any new ideas. It doesn't value new ideas. Right. And to give it like this genetic thing where the emperor is literally the same guy for yes. hundreds of years that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Of course, yeah. they're going to stagnate. Yeah. Um, and I think that works. It gives it, it gives him an ideological difference with Harry Seldon that you don't really get in the books. Like they have an ideological conflict, but it's not, it's not quite as, as cut and dry and yeah. thematically interesting. So yeah. 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 And, and Lee Pace, by the way, just to finish my thoughts on Lee Pace, yep. he's actually really good. Like oh, he's, he's, phenomenal. he's a lot yeah. more nuanced than I thought yes. he was capable of. Yeah. Oh, so good. And the guy they, they, they uh, cast as brother dusk, like his yeah. older clone, 
I don't know where they found him, but he really does look like an older Lee Pace. <laughs> well, yeah, for the longest time, I'm like, is that Lee Pace in makeup? Is that really? <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. Like maybe they upaged Lee Pace somehow. I'm gonna look it up just in case it is, so yeah, we maybe don't look like fools. <laughs> call. No, no, it is, it is a different actor. Okay, and it's, uh, it's Lee Pace is brother day is Cleon the twelfth. Twelfth. Okay, good. Yeah. So we're 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 dealing with eleven, twelve, and thirteen at the moment. Um. Yeah. Uh, and what you said about this change, and they say it straight up. Uh, Harry accused the emperor of this straight to his face that they stagnate because there are no new ideas because all your ideas are, all your all the ideas are your ideas. You're the one person, and you don't bring anything new to the equation. I did love that part where. Um... They ask him, is there anything we can do to soften the falling? He's like, well, yeah, just give up the genetic dynasty. And yeah. then Brother Dusk yeah. like smashes his glass on the ground. He's like, what yeah. are you talking about? Which I think <laughs> yeah. is an interesting reaction that that came from like uh, Dusk, Dusk have a yeah. stronger reaction to that than Day does. That was like, I think the first time you actually saw Dusk really do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially because like, I think uh, uh, at surface level, you're like, well, wouldn't Day be more upset about losing power? But if you really think about it, Dust, the older one, will be more thinking about legacy than Yeah, he's losing his legacy, right? Yeah, exactly. Because Day is still in the middle of like day to day running the empire. So right. he wouldn't Pun really intended. think about that kind of things like that. Um and what I was about to say was like um, as a as a um law graduate, what you say about that stagnancy is really interesting because there is a concept called the dead hand of the past that right. some, is sometimes discussed in legal theory about how we have to sometimes think about uh, the people who made the laws, dead people in the past, they, their limited views, uh, which is not necessarily informed by modern situations, have too much of a death grip on current legal issues. And we have to balance that with staying true to what the legal text, legal canon is, because that's also very important. We can't just let people reinterpret it willy-nilly, but we also need to make sure that the hand of the past isn't choking the present. And wow, I, think- I, I, I didn't really know that. Like, that's that's definitely that sounds almost exactly like word for word ideas that come out of the foundation yeah so that's cool i also didn't know you were a legal scholar so that's cool oh well i have a degree i wouldn't go as far as (laughs) i'm trying to be charitable here because i'm not a professional anything either (laughs) i think some people might not like this change because they might feel like it's less subtle oh i have a feeling that like there's a lot of purists who have already tuned out like who have already like infuriated by all the changes but um, I'm, I'm i have no doubt that there's a bunch of people who have not reacted as positively as me right <laughs> but i don't think subtlety is a virtue in and of itself i think sometimes it's perfectly fine to be not subtle no and for a show like this like i, I think there's still plenty of subtlety going on so that's fine <laughs> right and also like and this is a guy who is the emperor of a galactic empire and yeah, I don't think subtlety's in his yeah, things, We'll see a lot of that lack of subtlety in episode two. Yeah. <laughs> right, definitely. And I want to uh, bring attention to a particular scene because you were talking about Lee Pace's performance. Yeah. Um, so when he exiled Harry to his face, um, they, they're in the same room, but um, Damazel, is that how you pronounce her name? I've never really known how to pronounce it because I've, I've only read it so many times. <laughs> the Demerzol, Dem, Dem, well, that yeah, makes it sound Demerzol, like an anti-psychotic. Yeah. 
<laughs> Lady D. We're gonna call her for now. Sure, Lady D. <laughs> uh, she she pronounced that he'll get exiled. And Harry say what we said before during the recap is that the emperor is trying to co-op his um, legacy, co-op the foundation. They will either right. use, they will either uh, erase it, or if it is necessary and successful, use it to further their empire. And right. uh, Lee Pace has this shit-eating grin on his face. Watch that scene closely, back and forth. Uh, Harry say that statement to Lee Pace, not like bitterly, like not like, oh, you're doing this to me. Uh, he almost says it in a way that like, uh, he's like inceptioning it. Like he's yeah. like reinforcing <laughs> China, yeah. it. He's reinforcing yeah, yeah. this very basic idea to him like he's also almost like kind of making Lee Pace feel good about his decision not to kill him to exile him instead but I think the power dynamic in that is very interesting because I think a lot of people are going to interpret it like uh, depending on what they bring to the table like is this is this a stroke of genius by uh, <laughs> Cleon 12 or is this actually Brother Day falling directly into Harry's trap because right. later yeah. we know Harry gambled on exile as well right Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was always part of the plan. Yeah. Uh, to me, that scene is very ironic and it almost makes me want to laugh at Brother Day. Like he's so smug and self satisfied that yeah, he actually, he's so egotistical, he doesn't think anybody can manipulate him. Right. So he has no guard against it. Right. Yeah. For once in his life, he didn't take a path where he just like killed them all and he's, he's giving himself a bet on the back about how smart and calculating he is. But yeah. really, Harry walk out of that thing getting everything he wanted and maybe more because he doesn't even expect. He 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 gambled on exile, but later he says, if he's telling the truth, he didn't even expect to be alive to see it. Right. Like he only bet on the foundation happening in exile. Which I think um, he could I be lying about little, that. No, I, I well, yeah, of course. But I also think it's it's a little bit of lampshade hanging because, like in the book, he does stay behind, like we talked yeah. about earlier. Fair enough. Um, which I didn't. And know. I think. Yeah. That's just pointing out to the audience. We know that this is different. Just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that lampshade might not be necessary by episode two. Yeah, if you're, if you're still there by episode two and you're like really pissed off about the changes, I don't think it's going to make a difference, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess uh, the big thing that happened in this is the attack on the starboard. Right. And uh, this is another the thing that is elevator. totally new. Like, oh, this really? Is not, this is not in the book. There is no terrorist attack in the book. It doesn't happen. <laughs> okay. So I keep being quiet in front of you because I don't want you to accidentally spoil who did this. Now, this is one of those things where I can't because I have no idea. <laughs> to me, to me Harry, Harry must have been involved. Uh, I like how skeptical you are of Harry, but I don't, I don't think he's that malicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think being a mathematician, he might think in he might have done the calculus numbers. Yeah. 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 That's brutal. A hundred million. Well, he knows that he's got to make that kind of those kind of decisions going forward. That he's got to sacrifice a hundred million people to make, you know, a couple billion survive. Right. And yeah. later, uh, we're jumping a little bit ahead to episode two, but later we do know um, in this conversation with him and Gail, uh, Gail was quite upset about the high amount of uh, uh, predicted fatality in the first five years of settling on Terminus, but he is quite jolly that it is down to 30%, where Gail is like, 30% is so many people, and he's like, it's 30% and trending downward. So to some level, he can do that, that kind of calculus with people's lives. And by the way, this is predictions, because you don't know 
uh, because this attack is not in the show. Like, if I turn out to be right, like, don't come at me for spoiling it. I'm just theorizing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we seem to already be like naturally heading into the second episode. So maybe we should go ahead and do that. But wait, before we do, there's one yeah. thing I want to talk about. Just It's just a trivial thing, but I think it's really fun. The actor who plays uh, the, the lawyer who's convicting Harry Seldon and uh, Gail, yep. the one who's like speaking for the emperor, that's Alexander Siddig who played Dr. Bashir in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. And there's an there's an episode of Star Trek Deep, Deep Space Nine called Statistical Probabilities, where Dr. Bashir, played by Alexander Siddig, uses math to predict the future and doesn't account for individual actions, but like, you know, the the broad sweeps of, of society. Mm-hmm. So that is it's not even subtly ripping off foundation completely. Okay, um, so it's the homage to foundation episode. It's an homage to foundation. Yeah. And like I love that episode. It's a great episode. But it's just really cool to see Alexander Siddick, <laughs> who played Dr. Bashir <laughs> as the guy who's convicting Harry Sullivan. I thought that was just really cool. I'm not familiar with um uh, the older series of um Star Trek that much. That's cool to know. Wow, Deep Space Nine is now considered older Star Trek. I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> it's not discovery. <laughs> it <was> That's true. <laughs> uh, before we do go on to episode two, there is, especially now that we know the Starbridge attack is new, what is your reaction as an American? They clearly heavily reference 9-11 imagery. Yeah, right? this is this is very 9-11 heavy. Um, and yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, it, it's... It's easy to read Foundation, which is talking about the falls of empires, and, mm-hmm. and not think about America. I'm sorry for getting all SJW on you people, but um, you mean it's hard to? Yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to read it and not yeah. think of America yeah. because, like, I, I knew what yeah. you meant, but you said that all the time. <laughs> Words are hard. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm fine with it, and uh, I think it makes perfect sense, and I think it's deliberate, absolutely deliberate. Yeah. Um, and I, I, my first reaction, it wasn't as visceral as like if it had been like 20 years ago and they did this, mm. that would have been, it would have like, it would have been too much. Yeah. But it's been 20 years since, since 9-11. And I think that's enough time to really yeah. talk about stuff like this. Um, yeah. And if we're going to go with older Star Trek, there was a Enterprise, which was on during 2001. Like a couple of years later, they showed the Twin Towers and like the whole third season of Enterprise is about Earth getting attacked and whether we fight back against it and this was you know in the middle of the Ra- iraq war and everything so like they they faced it head on and even that was a bit much like it was a bit hard to deal with that as it was happening yeah. but now it's been it's been 20 years i think i think it's totally appropriate to to recall that kind of imagery when you're talking about the falls of empire um because i mean you don't have to be a partisan political hack to look at america and wonder are we falling <laughs> like and knowing that this is added to it it changes a lot of the context of it because look obviously neither you and me are uh, people who subscribe to conspiracy theories about 9-11 no, but, uh, uh, yeah. uh, but when you talk about the 9-11 text it's subsequent conspiracy theory that surrounds it is clearly in the uh, modern consciousness and the mystery surrounding who's responsible and who's punished for it publicly that's right. also is very like it's very interesting. Yeah, it's clearly an extension of this this metaphor, this terrorist attack metaphor. But if 
if people hate the idea of like like using um, real life events, political events like that, if they think it's a bit too on the nose, first of all, you shouldn't. That's how fiction work. Like yeah, like I said, this whole mass- thing is about the fall of the Roman right, Empire. I mean, right, and yeah. like massive events like this work into artists' psyche and it affects their work. It would be impossible totally. to tell people not to be affected by right, yeah. world-changing events. But if you are um, skeptical of that, like this kind of thing happens all the time. This kind of plot device happens even before 9-11. Like, for example, uh, a lot of people think Starship Troopers is weirdly prophetic about, you know, the, the movie. Starship Troopers, the movie. Yeah, really I know. Prophetic I know. About, uh, I have lots of thoughts about that movie. I'm trying to paint my phone. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I'm talking about the bug attack. And, right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the, uh, the, them launching an asteroid at Earth. And then the news uh, report saying, well, hey, that's in the book, too. Yeah, Um, there's some people saying, oh, it's because we invaded their city uh, first. And that happens way before 9-11 is a thing. So It's not like 9-11 was the first time a country got attacked and used it as an excuse to And not like that kind of event is unique. And now that you... It's not even the first time it happened to America. (laughs) We had Pearl Harbor, remember? Exactly. Now that that you make the good sci-fi reference to Deep Space Nine, I want to make the the weeb um, sci-fi reference to Gundam. Because when I watched this, I, like I said, I haven't read this. So I thought the Starbridge attack was part of the book because I'm a big fan of Gundam property, but there is one particular series called Gundam 00, which begins with an elusive scientist that has secretly started a foundational cache of things because he used mathematics to predict and uh, science yeah. <laughs> to predict the downfall of Earth. And because this is a giant robot show, the, the prediction and his uh, foundational thing is like a space force with giant robots, which is supposed to intervene and in all warfare on Earth. And essentially, every time there is a conflict, they're supposed to show up and fight everybody until people right. can't fight anymore. So you can tell immediately when I explain that setup, clearly inspired by foundation, right? And that show begins with a giant terrorist attack on a space elevator. Oh, so when I watched okay. that first episode, I was like, oh, Gundam 00 ripped, like, they set up straight for foundation. But it's, now it's very surprising to me that, that it didn't happen. And Okay, here's a, here's a really horribly self-indulgent reference. Yeah. Um, in my own novel called Paradox, there's a yep. space elevator on Mars and an interplanetary war starts because that space elevator gets knocked down like i have a really big scene involving a space elevator crashing down onto the surface of mars but so, so they stole mine right so david has <laughs> why uh, read your book watch gundam and then ruined foundation with it <laughs> exactly why is he doing that <laughs> no i really like what happened there and by the way paradox is available on amazon.com yeah, man, plug your shit. <laughs> Paradox by E. McGill. Look it up. <laughs> I guess that brings us to episode two, unless yeah. you have something else to say. Um, well, maybe we can save this for a little bit later, but uh, we didn't talk about the narrator at the beginning. Um, did we? I think like we the did, beginning. Yeah. Oh, okay. One thing I do want to say that, like, right in the beginning, she like she spouts out a couple of names. It's like three or four names that are like names of people who are way later in the story like that we they, there's no way that gail should know these names like gail should be long dead before some of these people are even born so if that narrator is gail which i think we'll talk about when we get to the end of episode two um she's she's in the future she has to be because like right. psycho history doesn't predict individuals like it doesn't especially not names like that's yes. totally chaotic yeah 
Fair enough. All right. So episode two, it's mostly the, the colonists uh, traveling. The to colonists Paris. on their way. Yeah. And then the emperor um, trying to uh, deal with the fallout of the Starbridge tech. Okay. Um, one of the, the, the thing, the reason I think they put in the Starbridge attack, like as a plot device, like just from a strictly narrative point of view, not talking about themes or anything like that. Um, I think they put it in there because they want to have more focus on the empire actually falling. Because in the books, um, they actually, as soon as, as soon as everybody goes to the foundation, as soon as the encyclopedists go, they call them the encyclopedists in the books. Then when they go to Terminus, the, the empire pretty much exits the story for a while. Like it comes back later, but for a while that we don't know what's going on. on the empire. Right. Um, but I think it's really important for the story and especially this like visual version of the story. I think it's really important that we do know what's going on. In the empire. Yes. Um, because especially since we know that if the genetic dynasty continues and then Cleon can be a character who comes back in 300 years, like it can totally work that yeah. this is the same guy, just a different clone. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that figures in. So I think it's really important that we keep tabs on what's going on with the empire. Also, right. they put a bunch of like seeds in there, like Demersol, which I'm sure we'll talk about eventually, um, that are from the prequel books that like by the time foundation happens, they're not even there anymore. Like, Edo yeah. Demersal is long gone by the time Foundation. They want to keep part of the narrative focused on the Emperor as well um, right. as the story progresses. And I think that's a reality of uh, different media. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people who love classic texts, um, especially sci-fi and fantasy, big epic texts are going to have to get used to that because the way television works, you just can't get rid of the main cast for a few seasons and come back. People get hooked on the cast. People people follow the cast and then... Yeah, and there's also like logistical problems of like having actors contracted to yes. disappear for three years and then come right. back for season four. Yeah, that exactly. doesn't work. And people are going to bring up series like uh, anthology series, uh, but anthology series are different you know people yeah, yeah. people come in with different expectations if there's an ongoing narrative they, people don't really like characters disappearing for a long time especially if they are central characters do also like a completely faithful adaptation of foundation if it was even possible to film that as a yeah. television show it would be it would be almost unwatchable like it, it really wouldn't work they have to make pretty significant changes for it to even work as a television show right and I right. knew that going into it, so I was prepared for it. But I think yeah. there's going to be some people who who are not going to get over that. Right. Well, when it comes down to it, I think when it comes uh, when it comes to readers of big sci-fi and fantasy books, literature, comics, uh, they okay with uh, the the camera, uh, so to speak, zooming back to yeah. uh, focus on uh, macro level things and pay very little attention to micro level and check in every once in a while, whereas television just doesn't work. That's, that's all, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and just as a television viewer, as an audience, like, I think you're more invested in the characters than in right. the, like the universe. Exactly. Cause yeah. Cause uh, but, otherwise like, it will feel like a documentary book, of a fictional exactly. <laughs> history. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Which yeah. I would watch, but they would make no money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If they filmed that, like, this is Harry Seldon's history of the future, that would, that would, that would actually be a lot of fun, but I don't think pull it <laughs> right. off. If Star was originally uh, filmed as the Diary of the Wills, um, yeah, exactly. I imagine, like the I imagine yeah. it wouldn't last this long <laughs> for J.J. Abrams to ruin. <laughs> we're not going to get any toxic fandom in here. Uh, I mean, look, we're talking about sci-fi. Eventually, we're going to have to address that. We already insulted Star Wars earlier, so I imagine those That's people true. are going to yeah. yell at us at some point. <laughs> 
uh, by the way, we both love Star Wars, but we also yes, love I, insulting things we yeah. love. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, I'm a giant, I mean, I'm a Star Trek nerd first. And like my favorite thing, one of my favorite pastimes is watching a Star Trek episode and just nitpicking the fuck out of it. <laughs> it's just like, I'm a big fan of that. Like time travel rules. These are totally inconsistent. Right. Well, Star this Trek, Star Trek so specifically, sense. like they, 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 they I don't they think Star Trek has like, a, they have like a Bible. Like, <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> they I said there's like, a lot of like older fans like me who, who watch like Discovery and stuff and they're like, the continuity makes no sense. And I'm thinking, it never, made, never sense. made sense. <laughs> they have like six different methods of time travel. <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess uh, let's quickly recap um, the story first, which is on the the side of the emperor. Yeah, this is really uh, two different stories. Yeah. Yeah. On the side of the emperor, he's trying to find out who did it. And uh, he's not that, like, he, he wants to know who did it. But uh, he also he wants really to, just know wants to punish be able to publicly. React. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what he cares more about. I think if he can have it, he would want to know who really did it. But he, his main interest is who to punish. Exactly. And yeah. the two terrorists attack that happened to the elevator. One of them sung Arachnid. Is that what it's? One of the uh, planets hunting song. Anacreon. Anacreon's <laughs> hunting song. And the other terrorists um, uh, recited a prayer from another planet. Therefore, these two warring planets that have delegates in Trento, the capital city, waiting for the emperor to settle the disputes. Now they're in the middle of it. They both being blamed for this attack. And both of them denies it. Of and course, to me, as you would. Uh, yeah, as you would. And to me, it seems pretty obvious to me that at the very least, these delegates have no knowledge. And uh, even at a logical level, Oh, the argument is correct. They have no reason to attack them uh, or the empire. Sorry, I keep using the two words interchangeably. I know I should. Well, the the show kind of does too. They call yeah. the emperor empire a lot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, you you also can see that dusk is kind of declining. Like, yeah, yeah, and he's very frustrated about it. Like yes. in that scene where he's painting the wall, and right? Yeah, loses his grip and just yeah. gets real mad. Yeah, his age is starting to go. And he's um, uh, clearly a man thinking about legacy because, as we mentioned previously, he the way he reacted to the idea of ending cloning. And um, he goes and see um, the priest that briefly met with Gail before the terrorist attack happened to try and suss out if she can see the future, which is right. kind of a little bit of a weird scene. Um, but I think he, I think that communicated to me that. Dust doesn't really understand psychohistory. No, yeah. <laughs> like, um, he's kind of mixed up and like it's probably also part of his decline. And he also uh, have a couple of verbal bouts with Brother Day. And yeah. uh, it ends with him also having a confrontation with both of the delegates. And Where he, end, he comes across as like pretty erratic. Yeah. Pre yeah, pretty erratic. And he clearly communicates that he don't think they did it but they, they're still going to get killed. But not in like a logical level or like in a way where it seems like he's interrogating them. It just kind of seems like he's indulging his own whims. Right. And, he's, it's like it's more like he's working something out in his head yeah. in their faces. Yeah. Right. Um, and I do have a theory about that, which um, I'll come back to later. But uh, it all ends with Brother Day deciding to hang every part of the delegation from both planets except the heads. And while publicly screening... Uh, uh, genocidal attack on both planet. The way he says it, he probably didn't successfully wipe out everybody, but like definitely a planetary level attack 
who sh which would have wiped out most of the population and making them watch, but le um, leaving them alive to go back to their planet. So that's yeah, I, I, I don't think this is a real big spoiler, but Anacreon does play a role later on. So there's no way he wiped out everything. Yes. Yeah. And like, from Anacreon is like a neighbor of Terminus. So yes. they're really close. Yeah. yeah. And they mentioned that in this episode as well, that Terminus yeah. is uh, close to these two warring planets. Right. Uh, well, and that is important. But, yeah. Well, they're definitely not warring now. <laughs> yeah, and on the uh, the side of the colonists that are going to Terminus, Rach and Gil is clearly um, uh, starting to develop a relationship, and um, uh, one of she's even key, gotten pregnant. Yeah, one of the key points is she got pregnant and she froze his heart zygote, so uh, it's being extracted from her and kept in the seed bank, which I think is a pretty cool way to. <laughs> Talk about your your uh, storage of fetuses. Oh, sorry, not fetuses. Zygotes. Zygotes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but as soon as that happened, like the the, the writer would be was just like, oh shit, that means Gail's gonna die or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. there's like, even like a scene where they're watching a sunset and they, they like watch it twice yeah. which is really cool but like they're like talking about their future and i'm like oh my god one of these is definitely gonna die <laughs> <laughs> well i i really thought it was gonna be rage um, yeah me too actually <laughs> another another thing that uh, is important to note is that rage think they shouldn't tell harry of the relationship and he says he wouldn't like it and at some point uh gail revealed to rage that the math for cycle history is incomplete. And the way she right. says it is it's like a massive puzzle. You have a couple of pieces missing. You have a very statistically high chance of knowing what the completed picture is, but you can't say for certain it will certainly be this picture because uh, there are a couple of pieces missing, which seem to shake Rach. And Harry is also starting to act uh, a little bit erratic. Uh, he seems to uh, recall his... Uh, pass with rage um, slightly differently in public at dinner table in a way that piss off rage and and then uh, he just tries to laugh it off like he just tried to laugh it off yeah. yeah and everybody else found it awkward but have a scene where he clearly is trying to ingratiate himself with the, the he the goes down into the, the laundry, laundry. Yeah. yeah so essentially with the masses and it ends with him shaking everybody's hand in a in a very like messianic um uh, yeah, if there were any babies there he would right yeah. exactly <laughs> it's like it's, he's like campaigning or uh, yeah right He's trying to like, it seems like he's elevating himself, like, right. yeah, which um, I think is key. Yes, yes. And both of these erratic behavior was common late in, at the end of the episode, Gail says something is wrong, which we'll get back to, run yep, to we'll talk about that. Um, Harry's quarter to find uh, seemingly uh, Rach has stabbed Harry to death because the computer does announce that the life signs of uh, one uh, Harry Seldon has ceased functioning. And once she sees it, there's no explanation, nothing. All that happened is Rage dragged Gale to a uh, escape pod, which also functioned as a cryogenic vessel. And he put the knife and Gale in it and jettisoned her into space. And that's the end of yeah, it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. You see her body like frozen in space. Running right. through like an asteroid field or a, yes. something, and it ends in what I think is a very good shot that um, that convey the the idea of like uh, the mathematics affecting things very well, which is she almost hit an asteroid 
as it slowly yeah. rotate out of the way and she just that was really cool i noticed that too yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good visual metaphor yeah right i think like it, that conclusion as well as like the whole both uh the the double episodes keep me hooked but the way that concluded especially made me feel very good about this show's future and which led us being really into it and starting this podcast i'm not gonna lie my first like initial visceral reaction was just like what the fuck they just murdered harry selden what is this <laughs> like, is this is this too much and, but like the longer i've thought about it the more peace i've made with it the more i'm starting to realize what they're doing like they're turning yeah. it into a murder mystery like i talked yeah. about a long time ago um let's let's so uh, think- let's work back well let's talk about the murder first in this because i think if we go through it chronologically our, our knowledge of the murder is going to color all the events in this so let's right talk about the murder first so continue like this so this doesn't happen in the book that's a big not at all like i said uh in the book harry selden stays stays um stays back at uh, Ter- uh trantor i always get terminus and trantor back in my head <laughs> <laughs> um and like he there's, there's stuff that he does on trantor that's actually really important in the story later on but i think they, they made it very clear that they're changing that for reasons that i i can kind of see i think i know where they're going with it but i'm not 100 percent. and i love that i i think that that ending really announces if you're if you're already on board with the fact that we're changing things here you go this is you either take this or leave it and um i think that that murder it really sets the tone. It, it, you know what you're, you know what the the inciting incident is. You know what the puzzle is, and now we've just got to solve it. And I think this is. It might only last an episode or two, or it might be like the entire season is dedicated to this in particular mystery. Right. Um. And not to knock the wind out of your sail about how being uh, this being an epic change, but there's also a possibility that this doesn't stick. Right. That we, we did talk about this too, that yeah. like maybe this isn't what it I mean, it's obviously not what it seems. There's there's right. a lot of hints that there's a lot more going on here than right. just Rage killed his dad. The main visual clue that there might be something else going on is Rage takes something off the back of Harry's ear. He peels something off right, right. before he grabbed Gale and run. And uh, that happens right before the ship announces that Harry's life functions have ceased. So if the um, computer's only reading that through like that bio, yeah. if that's a biometric scanner like, right. on his ear, then yeah, of course the computer thinks he died. Right. Even if he maybe he didn't. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, the nature of the show, we're supposed to doubt uh, everything about everything. Harry. Nothing is, yeah, right. nothing is true. <laughs> yes. So this could all be play acting for Gil's benefit. Because, uh, uh, and uh, the wound Harry have uh, uh, in a TV show context, that could go either way. You can say that's a fatal wound. You could say they recover from it. And both would be believable. Because he wasn't like stepped in the heart. He was stepped in the gut. Yeah. And it also like looked like his gut was a little distended. Like there was like, he was stabbing like not really his stomach, you know. Yeah. But again, you go either way. You can say, well, yes. that's TV. Yeah, or you exactly. can say that that's deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Especially in sci-fi, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it's not like uh, uh, another thing to note is as um, Gil and Rach ran off, there's also another person who's rushing towards the quarter. So right. it is it is quite possible within the narrative that Harry is safe. Yeah, but Gail's gone before anybody figures that out. So right. like Gail, Gail and the mother, wherever she winds up, will yeah. think that Harry Seldon was murdered by Rach. Right. And I think uh, episode three will probably answer a lot of these questions, but probably not all. No, I think we'll just get like, we'll get some 
some some revelations, but more mm. questions. Yeah, which is how it should. And one of the things we were discussing in chat was definitely centered on this, which to me, this isn't what it's like. It's no, either. I think at surface level, if there's no twist at all, it could be that Rach finding out that math is incomplete. Harry yeah, that's might... like a surface level explanation yes. that like right. it, people would want to believe. Right. Right. But I think it's also make more sense if you consider that Rach might have done some heinous thing based on faith in Harry and psychohistory, right? Right. This reaction seemed a little bit too strong if he just finds out that Harry is not on the up and up because there's nothing about him that seemed to be missing Trantor. He doesn't seem to be that upset about going to Terminus and supposedly falling in love with Gale as well. So I think that explanation doesn't make sense unless Harry is responsible for the Starbridge attack and Rage was one of the instruments through which he coordinated that and he carried out that attack and helped Harry based on the fact of that mathematics of life. But then he was mad that the mathematics wasn't 100% sure. Right. right. So I he think, just killed 100 million people. Right. right. So I think that would make sense. And would you be satisfied with that explanation if that is as straightforward as that? It makes sense, but no, I would not. Like, it's too straightforward. And because they're laying this out like a mystery, it, it's got to be more complicated than that. It can't be that simple. What if there's another layer to that and it is revealed if, that Harry wanted that to happen. Harry wanted to get killed by Rage, and that's why he specifically make Rage believe that he doesn't want Rage to get into a relationship with Gail, knowing that with teenagers, that's more <laughs> that's how you get them to get into a relationship with each other. Well there's a there's a there's a there's a couple different things to unpack there. Um one, that would that would soften the blow. Like if if Harry basically wanted this to happen and yeah. then like made events play out in such a way that this would happen yeah that so, would make so, more sense so Gail would fight in rage yeah that's what yeah, i'm trying to get at but the problem with that is that psycho history is all about right big societies not individual actions he can't predict individual actions well and at but, this but, level i'm not saying harry i'm not saying harry used psycho no you're just saying that i'm just, just saying he's a manipulative best well, yeah he is so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though, like, in talking about the themes of the show, him affecting and manipulating individual action at that level would be a bit confusing in the theme. Because I think as the show goes on, we're going to be like, oh, individual actions keep affecting Harry a larger picture. Right. Um, also, I thought it was kind of weird that the whole idea that he would be opposed to a relationship. Um, the, 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 the show is kind of like trying to portray Harry as a guy who is aloof about personal relationships and cares more about the math. In the books, he was married. Oh, okay. <laughs> His family was like a big thing for him. Oh, um, it was really okay. important for him. Uh, so that's That's definitely not odd. the characterization we're getting in the show. Yeah, and I think I think that's another misdirection. I don't I don't actually think Harry Seldon thinks that way. Um, and it's not just because of the baggage I'm bringing from the book. I just just the way I read it uh, in the show. And another um, possibility we have discussed is that this is a, uh, once again, sorry if you hate Harry Potter, a Dumbledore <laughs> snake in that right. Harry uh, Harry wanted, well, when you bring up Harry Potter and you say the word Harry, you get confused very quick, doesn't <laughs> Just you? call him Harry. Where can, <laughs> solves it from? Dr. Selden <laughs> told uh, slash recruited Rach to do this, to either kill him or almost kill him as part of um, wanting to do what he wanted to do, which is kind of be martyred maybe or maybe keep himself take himself off the board uh from the empire's raider right um 
And that could still account for the erratic behavior that Rach has been showing if he's being told to do this. And the scene at the table could be play acting. It really feels like it was. It, yeah. it really does feel like play acting. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he... There was an interesting point you brought up in, when we were chatting before yeah. uh, that Harry, there was that one scene where he's like, they, I'm he's Harry in the now, not Dr. Selden. Yeah, yeah he's, he's in, in the... Yeah, he's in the orchard. He's talking about the growing trees, and one of uh, Dugale and one of the colonists uh, walk by. Just walks by. It's Harry, and then he's uh, interesting. Now I'm Harry. A few months ago, I was Doctor Selden, and he seemed to be very affected by that. And I'm yeah, wondering... so he's like worried that he's being too humanized. That people right. are starting to see him as a human and not right Doctor Selden. Right. I'm wondering if if his reaction to that is him knowing at that point that he need to be murdered to uh he needs to, to become a martyr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He essentially need to die and he can't live out his life peacefully because then he will just be a person and he need to elevate his status. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if his actions uh continue on from there. Uh, including how he acted in that laundry room, trying to, uh, you know, essentially have a session with the masses, like trying to yeah. build his legend. Exactly. Kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Personally coming down to the laundry level and then giving a speech about how even like everybody matters. And making a point to say that he knows everybody's names. Yeah. Right. And like uh, building the eccentricity of like he loved the shirt with the little stain. Like he's literally yeah. come down to get the, the little stain. And, um, well, that I, has some neat thematic like possibilities that kind of gets into spoiler territory. But yeah, okay. the stain is really keep that in your mind. It's, All right. it's kind of important, I think. But I think it also have a thematic uh, equivalent, like a like a mirror image in a, a scene earlier in episode one of day, dusk, and dawn sitting down to dinner, and when Dave gets up to carve the peacock himself, uh, dusk accuse him of trying to build his legend by play acting. Oh yeah, trying so to there. add eccentricities to his, think about that. his persona. Yeah, yeah. Which is a, a good point. Which is a weird thing to accuse Dusk of a uh, day off because they are like in the private. Same person. Yeah. But and I also <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, private, they're yeah. the same person. They're in private. But he does say that like, oh you're doing this for your biographer. <laughs> no, that's a good point. And that means they're like planting that idea in your head yeah. thematically. That's that's actually really interesting. I haven't thought of that. Yeah. So do you do you have anything to add about this murder mystery? Um. Yeah. I I really think nothing is as it seems. Not even close. Like I think even. I mean, you say the surface interpretation is wrong. I think like there's multiple layers to it. Like the next level of interpretation is going to be wrong, and the level after that maybe even. Like we're going to yeah. see that there are lots of different things going on. I think we will find out what happened pretty quickly but we won't find out why it happened for a long time i also i also think it's worth mentioning although i don't think this is actually anything but it is yeah. worth mentioning that this is a show that has already introduced us to the concepts of robots and clones yeah. so yeah. it's it's totally possible that harry Sullivan is a robot or a clone right i don't think so but it's yes. possible. so especially <laughs> when you especially when you talk about how look he, he staying behind in Trentor. Yeah, and, and doing uh, important stuff. Yeah. And doing important stuff. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe they didn't change that. Maybe there is two Harry Yeah, maybe Sullivan there's another Harry Seldon back which, on Trantor. If they don't do it right, that could be a cheap twist. Definitely. Uh, especially especially to pull this early in the show 
especially for a current, like this is the first significant character death. Uh, I think if he just survived the stabbing, that's fine. I, I don't think that's a big of a deal. That's not pulling you too much of a rug. But yeah, if like they but if it's a robot or a clone, like yeah, they have to. It's a bit much. Right. Like there, there's a, probably a way to nail it, but it's going to be very. Difficult. That makes it kind of feel like fanfic y. It just doesn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And like, and then, then uh, fanfic is exactly the word, right? How many yeah. like uh, theories surrounding our uh, uh, popular Marvel characters' death uh, <laughs> center around like it was a clone, uh, it was a life model decoy, life model decoy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad uh, that hasn't been introduced as anything but a joke. Well, it's in Agents of Shield, but yeah, it's in a lot of Agents of Shield, <laughs> yeah, uh, in which they kind of do abuse it at some point. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess another thing to talk about is Gale. <laughs> unceremoniously launched from the colonial ship into oh, right. an asteroid <laughs> belt to God know where. And I'll bring you back to what you were talking about before. If Gail is the narrator, it is her voice. And we yep. but we did discuss the possibility that she could be playing another character. It could be the same actress descendant. playing the yeah. descendant. Right. Or it could be her. Like maybe she's been floating in space for a couple right. hundred years. Yeah. Because in the narration, the narrator talk about the names of characters that you said are uh, a lot further in the future right like names that, there's no way that gail dornick would ever know if unless like somehow she either gained immortality or got frozen in ice for a long time yeah <laughs> I, I did bring up a possibility that you hated which is like what if she's the next genetic amp oh god that's so bad no <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but uh very likely uh it's more very likely that they're trying to solve that problem we touched upon earlier which is a uh, epic sci-fi story of this scale um, needs to spend a lot of centuries but televisions require you keep at least some central characters so i presume maybe this is a way for us to have a through line to the yeah i was thinking that too, like to give us an actual character who can be there for more of the story than just like one lifetime yeah right and that would also make sense with how, what they did to um, lee pace and the emperor because right like we can see more lee pace anytime <laughs> as long as they keep cloning he could even like be around longer than even the fall of the empire like he'd still be around after right be fun but we could also be overthinking this and we could uh, the name she mentioned maybe they just changed it and they shows up earlier <laughs> it's possible well, I, hope not. <laughs> I would be i'd be pretty annoyed i'd be like well then what are we going to do the entire thing in one season no <laughs> oh, uh well you don't have to worry about that because david esquire one of the writer that says their plan is eight season 80 episodes oh okay that's good so, good i'm glad so, i hope they do the whole thing i hope yeah. they go all the way to the end and this is apple plus as well so apple plus seems to be pretty good at not canceling shows yeah it's not netflix yeah yeah <laughs> netflix mean, look, is the new fox yeah it's not safe if if uh, nothing is safe when numbers are involved if nobody watches it we're not gonna get more yeah it's all about but, the math yeah yeah <laughs> also i wanted to point out yeah, David S. Goyer is one of the showrunners, but the other one is Josh Friedman. I don't have a lot of faith in David S. Goyer. He's one of these guys who's done hit or miss. Um, so like right. his name doesn't it doesn't bring a lot of pull to me. But yeah, Josh yeah. Friedman's interesting. I really like Josh Friedman. He did the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that he did is the Terminator TV show, which I actually really like. I like it better than most of the Terminator movies. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really well, David S. Goyer he, did terminate a dark fate what do you think about that yeah see <laughs> there's the difference <laughs> <laughs> okay to be clear i don't hate dark fate but i'm not a big fan 
Dark Fate, uh, unless I'm mistaken, is the latest one, right? It's yeah, that's one. the most recent one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I actually quite like it a lot, but uh, it's not. Uh, I don't like what they did to Sarah. Redoing the, they just redoing the same story again, slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot of the Force Awakens syndrome. Yeah. Right. I do like Force Awakens, so. Eh. Well, so do I. I like it better than Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I want it. I like a punch in the <laughs> gut. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, once again, uh, I'm the same with you on David Esquire. Uh, I uh, not having faith is a good way to put it because he does have his name attached to a lot of good things, but also you have it attached to Justice League and Batman vs. <laughs> yeah, some total dog shit. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Dawn of Justice, Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> so, you know, he's also attached uh, to one of my favorite properties, Sandman, which is coming out next. So I'm oh, hoping yeah. <laughs> that's why it's just yeah, yeah. really good now. <laughs> um, so yeah, that whole mystery happening, I guess that completely cover everything that's happening on the colonial side, unless you have- Yeah, we have to go back to the import. No, I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, yeah. wait, wait. There is one other thing. Um, we got to talk about Gail maybe being prescient, like yes, maybe being able to like, right. see, like so that, when the, the star thing yep. was, or the, the space elevator, I can't remember what they called yeah. it. Uh, when it star fell, bridge. like right, star bridge, right before it fell, she's like, there's something wrong with the sky. Yeah. Oh my God, the star bridge. Like it seemed like she was psychically noticing something. Yeah. And then again, right before Ari was killed, maybe um she has the same thing she just has a premonition jumps out yes. of the bath or out of the the, the pool yeah. and runs the hurry yes. so like and um i didn't really connect the dot the first time i saw it <laughs> actually i've seen the uh, both episode twice now because when i was yeah, this morning uh my partner was watching it again uh, <laughs> which i thought was very funny because she's like yeah i we watched it too late last night and i don't think i could absorb all of it i would watch it again which she kind of doesn't do with hard sci-fi a lot which i'm like <laughs> yes that's very good well <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the first time i watched it i didn't quite connect it but rewatch through it also go connect a little bit with brother dusk going to that priest and asking if she can see the future which seems to be such a weird scene in the beginning that scene still really baffles me i really yeah, i have not no sure idea what what's happening doing. Yeah. right especially because that priest was like just laughing at him <laughs> that, that priest... seems so weird yeah <laughs> uh, and the, the two sentences he says seem to be contradictory with each other and he's like she's not a true seer your empire is doomed i'm like no yeah, the she... empire is doomed just seemed to come out of nowhere like what yeah, because she <laughs> predicted the empire is doomed so right. if she's not a true seer surely it's the opposite look we could just be overthinking it, it could just be a bad sometimes That's a bad before they maybe goyer wrote that scene yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh for um listeners uh do know that we're very high on this show right now but we could turn on it <laughs> oh absolutely like, <laughs> I'm, five I'm, or like, six could come around and we could just be like this is the worst <laughs> there are a couple of things that really worry me and i think we'll get to those in a minute um well, there's well, that, one big that one that scene worried me that, scene was, that scene was really weird the part of that scene i did like is establishing demrazel as somebody who could even override the emperors and want to come to their safety like she commanded true, yeah. the troops rag brother dusk away and they obeyed without hesitation and yep, there seemed yep. to be no consequences for her uh, betraying his desires. Yeah, she doesn't even, or he doesn't even seem mad at her. Or, right. Yeah. And I know Brother Dusk is not central uh, power anymore. Uh, like, surely uh, they definitely show that Brother Day, the middle one, is always the 
emperor and the other two are more advisors advisors right yeah but still like but still he's still technically the emperor. Emperor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess uh because we're getting into this side we're done with the colonist side uh, the, yeah. uh, the only other things that jumps up are like them getting ready for the uh, founding the foundation to colonizing and them talking about we've mentioned before the calculus of life um and um, she's worried about the death and he's concerned with numbers and it's right. mostly rage and girls relationship developing and and that lead more to us being uh, very um thinking there's something more wrong with rage because throughout the development of their relationship there seemed to be a very sadness to rage that definitely yeah that's like, especially if you watch it like the second time even like the first introduction of rage just talking to harry before gail even gets on trantor yeah. like there's a lot of unspoken something between them and he right. seems really really sad and right. knowing that he knows something really bad's about to happen and it's more than just the trial like right. it's it, there's definitely more to it and um in the context of knowing what happened uh, that seems seem to learn a, a, a lot of weight to our the Dumbledore Snape <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, idea. absolutely. Like you just <laughs> to be like, feel like yeah, yeah, Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah. You just you you're gonna have to kill me, kind of chat. Um, so oh, spoiler alert: Snape kills Dumbledore. Oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> in real life too. <laughs> <laughs> they had to put it in the movie because he just did it. <laughs> With the gun as well. Yeah, they had to CG out the, the whole gunshot <laughs> yeah. thing. Turn yeah, into a wand. Put in yeah. a wand in his hand. Now that we've done with stupid jokes, let's go back to the <laughs> emperor side of it. And I must say, the ending of the episode on the um, colonist side was big shock and very interesting. But throughout the episode, the empire, the empire side was definitely the more captivating side to me. Yeah, I was more interested in that. Yeah. Like, I was kind of curious what was going on on the ship, but I didn't really think too much of it until that big dramatic mm. scene at the end but yeah the the the, the, the side on the empire yeah. was really really compelling really interesting and yeah. the that last scene where you see the attack on the planets and everybody being hung and yeah. that was really good that was really intense <laughs> yeah we already touched on a lot of it but um what do you think about this mystery of who done it um i like it I, I like that it could be just about anybody it could be brother dusk who's responsible it right. could just it could just be weird terrorist organization under the behind the scenes, uh, which opens yeah, up all kinds be, of possibilities. I will um, I will be annoyed if it is a force we haven't met yet. Yeah, that would be kind of that would be cheap. It would yeah. feel cheap at least. Yeah. Um, could also I, yeah, it could be Harry. It could be anybody. Yeah. Really. I, my uh, main theory is that it's Harry, right? Or at least Harry influenced it, made it possible. Or and I think. Something that is definitely a certainty in my head is Harry knew a big attack like that was going to happen, and he timed his and he timed his arrest and the subsequent revelation of psychohistory and um, the prediction that the empire is coming to a downfall in a way that it will coincide or even incite this kind of attack. That seems to be like that seems to be my theory. Like it, it, I would not be surprised. No, this is a this is an audio medium, so nobody can tell. But I'm nodding vigorously in agreement. Yeah, I really think, at the very least, Harry knew that something like this was about to happen, and yes. he, like you said, he timed it. Like they make it very clear that there was a timing issue. Like yeah. at the very beginning, the first question Ray asks him is, "Is it has to be now?" Yeah, and Harry's like, "Yeah, yeah, it has to be right now." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it could be math. Oh, it could, it could be, be math. Just, it just, it's conspiring with terrorists. <laughs> 
and that's a big question like yeah. how much is harry predicting and how much is he yeah. causing right yeah yep and, and that's a, if that's not if, a question i'm gonna answer <laughs> right and if it is rage if rage reaction is real um that lends lend towards my theory that he he is a bit more responsible than like trying to use it for his game um right. but um yeah that's my main theory is that harry is a lot more responsible like it, there's surely there's more motivations from people who actually carried it out and like this surely the empire doesn't have um shortage of enemies um right surely there's a lot of people who could benefit from that i don't think it's any of those two planets but <laughs> yeah no i don't either uh, <laughs> i mean they might have gotten some extremists off of those planets but that's about it <laughs> right of course another thing is is Harry, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, is Harry trying to bring about the downfall of the Empire? If he does, then this attack, well, it shows the populace, uh, it's, it shows dissidents that this big beast can be wounded, right? Like right. there is a way to hurt it. But not only that, uh, the retaliation on the two outer rim planets who originally was against each other it could uh harry could have predicted once again i'm saying harry manipulators based on knowing cleon as a person not using not necessarily using psycho history harry could have predicted that their big disproportionate response could bring the outer rim and other uh, people who hate the emperor together it could galvanize them as a more of a force in well this is still this is still like within the realm of psycho history. Like he's not necessarily predicting what Cleon will do yeah. based on Cleon as a person. Yeah. It could just be like the numbers of the most likely outcome of right. this event would be this, you know? And yeah. I think that still works. Like even if he's not predicting Cleon's individual yeah. behavior, yeah. even which even though, you know, the whole genetic dynasty thing, I think you totally could. Yeah. I don't think that's... Well, I mean, he's met that. them face to face as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually... Here we go again. In the books, he actually worked for the Empire for a while. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, and um, e even in the show, he is a university professor, and I—I I don't think he has a lot of power, like in terms right. of being able to raise armies or hire dissidents to take out a but, terrorist attack. Yeah, I don't think he has that kind of power. He does seem to have a following because a lot of the people who come with him to Terminus seems to be believer. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So and he does have a following. Yeah. But it's not quite clear as on whether or not they gathered those believers after the big reveal or he he was already amassing those believers. He was amassing something because there is a scene we didn't discuss in episode one about the guy who cleaned the murals in the palace getting killed right. because he was found possessing Dr. Selden's teachings. No, like he was he was always a teacher. He was a professor. He was, he was famous. He was very well known. And he did have a following of people, but they were following him based on um, the intellectual side at first. And uh, they weren't, they weren't like religious zealots. They weren't the kind of people that were going to use violence to enact change, you know, um, at least yeah, at first. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think he, I don't think he had the kind of power to make people do something that extreme. Yeah. Um, but he could totally have the power to make a couple like thousand people go live in exile on permanent. Right. If he did cause the attack on the Starbridge, I don't think it would necessarily, I don't think he would have just influenced them. Like, because they sang those prayers and sang those hunting songs, like, it would have to be a deliberate plot to pin it on these two planets, right? No, if he did it, the way that Harry Seldom operates, he planted the seeds for it and let it just kind of do its own thing. Okay. Because <laughs> um, that's how it works. Right. So there will be other forces who would want to blame it on these two planets as well. Um, right. 
you briefly touched on it before, which is my other theory, is that Brother Dust did it. Right. Uh, what do you think of that? I'll briefly explain it again for the listeners, which is my theory is that Brother Dust throughout the early episodes is repeatedly giving the advice, use the stick. Don't overthink the stick. To Brother right. Day, he was um, a big show of force. And it seems to be in the genetic of the, the Cleons as well. And he gives the same advice uh, regarding Harry as well, one that Day doesn't follow. Right. And we know he's declining. He's starting to worry about legacy. Like there's literally a scene of him looking at the frozen. Um, it could have, we're not actually sure. It could either be the corpse or a, a realistic statue. I think it is more likely the corpse. Yeah, I think it's actually pre- like yeah. the preserved corpse, corpse or something. Of, so they can, yeah. they can of, take his genetic material whenever they want. Yeah. Right. Either the first Cleon or one of the previous Cleon. It could be. It could, it could be, be the one, one that was yeah. Brother Dusk when he was Day. That's or it could true. Be I hadn't I just assumed it was clear on the first, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. Uh, the the reason I thought it is his, his dusk when he was day is because like he seems to be like there's a lot of things in his shot of his reflection focusing on his uh... reflection and then the people in the glass coffin. So it could just be him like seeing how close he is now to that figure who has been retired. Because we don't even right. know if they wait. We don't even know how this what we don't even know if they wait until dusk dies of natural causes they could just, they just retire put him, him. Yeah. put him out the pasture yeah, yeah. stick him in a glass case yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah and thinking about legacy like i don't think he wants his legacy to be these people dying but i think he's, he wants this legacy to be cl- maybe ten- clenching a tighter fist on the outer rim but the uh, one uh, the, one of the main reason i don't like that possibility is one is a dumb plan and yeah. two the justification for it being a dumb plan would be that oh he's an old man he's declining which is not a narratively interesting device i don't like or it when shows are like they're going sensitive crazy. one yeah right exactly <laughs> well i mean like these guys are genocidal clones right so good point they, they're not they're not necessarily <laughs> your average person but still like i don't like it when shows are like oh this person has gone crazy so therefore they're going to act yeah you can explain anything away. logical yeah like game of Thrones did it do magic way out poorly and you know uh battle star galactica in the last few seasons keep doing it repeatedly oh man yeah (laughs) (laughs) i hope not unless they come up with a better satisfying uh, explanation but i think at the very least i think it's possible uh but i also think it's it's possible as a big red herring that that's Mm. like one of the many options that's going to be presented to you as a fake option right um yeah i i as as far as like who i think did it i actually don't really have an answer i i have problems with everybody i could name like i have problems with dusk for pretty much the reasons you said i I think it's lazy storytelling um and i also think it's just kind of weak it's not it's not great and you're getting into like star trek into darkness territory and right crazy 9-11 conspiracies and stuff. And I just, I don't want to go down that road. Um, but then I could say like uh, Harry, but I don't like thinking about the fact that Harry would actively participate in the murder of a hundred million people. That seems like a bridge too far for me. Yeah. Um, star bridge too far. Yeah. Star bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or then I could say like, it's Demersal who we'll talk about in a minute was a robot. Um, yeah. And that by Isaac Asimov logic is really difficult to accept because yeah you know, the first law of robotics and everything. You can't kill a human being. Um, 
that would be really, really hard to justify. Are the Foundation novels set in the same universe as the iRobot novels? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I know I know a lot of Asimov stuff are uh, set in the same universe unless told otherwise. But I didn't. Well, know what that. happened was that like okay, he wrote the original Foundation trilogy, the first three books, in yeah. like the 1940s, like a long, long time ago. And then he didn't write the sequels and prequels until the 80s. And it was in the 80s that he took a bunch of his different properties. He had like the Empire series, he had the Robot series, he had the Foundation series, and they all stood alone at that point. Yeah. He just decided, why do they have to be alone? Let's let's tie them all yeah. together and make up a grand chronology. Yeah. And for the most part, it works. Like he, he doesn't have a lot of continuity issues. Um, yeah. He's not George Lucas. He's Isaac Asimov. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't and think all the George Lucas novels. have heard of the word continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, whatever. We've pissed off the Star Wars. Oh, that's true. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. They love George Lucas again because uh, <laughs> they hate sequels more than prequels. Yeah, all of a sudden the prequels are good again. Yeah. What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I hate Rise of Skywalker more. Than... I think I do too, but that's, Attack of the Clones is really hard to watch. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not <true>. good. <laughs> Let's not do a Star Wars podcast. We should start a new podcast for that. <laughs> I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> but anyway, because of that, I this is the thing I'm the most concerned about so far is is how they're treating robots. Because mm. by this point in Asimov's chronology, nobody there, there there's a few people like a, there's a religion that sort of remembers robots, but robots aren't like a thing. Like people don't remember robots, and there was never anything called the Robot Wars. That's that's way out there. Like. There was never a war between humanity and robots or, yeah. you know, humanity with robots versus humanity without. There was never a war. Yeah. Um, robots went away for completely different reasons. And I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't read the robots. Yeah. But, um, they run out of and, <laughs> and Demersal in particular is concerning to me. Um, She's concerning to me because she is scary and sexy at the same time. But is that... Yeah, <laughs> I always that's not the yeah. <laughs> I mentioned the Terminator TV show earlier, but Shirley Manson is the liquid metal Terminator. God. Anyway, <laughs> uh, she in particular worries me uh, because she's a, a huge character in the Foundation series, but she's gone before Foundation. Like she's she's really heavily in the first prequel, which is Prelude to Foundation, I think. Yeah, she's she's a major player in that. Um, well, she's a he, but whatever. She is a main is a major character in that, and but she she leaves. In the second book, Sorry, the second to, be, book. Uh, to interrupt you further, when you say she's a he, you mean uh, the character in the novel is a guy, novel. right? Yeah. Right, but in the in the show, sure. it's a girl, which doesn't bother me at all. That's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't, it's really hard to d explain what my problem is without spoiling a right. big thing. Right. Um, I'm really worried about how, like, just casually they revealed that she's a robot. Like, right. In the books, this is a massive reveal. It's like a huge thing to reveal and, and that Demersal. You say that in the books, the Emperor doesn't even know. Did not know that she's a robot. Right. And but in this in this universe, it makes sense that they would know because yeah. they've been around long enough to be like, wait, how can you have an aged yet? Yes. <laughs> yeah. In this universe, um, yeah, in, in, there's no other way around it. And the the dialogue seems to suggest that she's been around with them, maybe even the whole time. Yeah, there's a line where she says, um, and it actually made me laugh out loud when she said it. She said, I've survived for a long time, or something like that. She's like, I've been around a long time. Or she, because the, the, the young, the brother, Dawn, yeah. said something about, like, aren't you worried about your wound? She's just like, ah, I've survived for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 
not to invoke Star Wars again so quickly, uh, that when they dropped Robot Wars, uh, it, it it's really, the very Clone Wars feel. Yeah, yeah. it really tickled <laughs> that childlike wonder of Clone Wars. You get when the yeah. first time you watch New Hope and the you know, the way your imagination filled it in, which is way better than what happened. <laughs> Before the prequels came out, I had this, right. one of my personal favorite uh, fan theories was that OB-1 was a, was a code right. name, yes. was, a, was a clone. OB-1 <laughs> Kenobi. Right. And even in the extended universe, and people complain about Disney wiping out extended universe things, but the prequels wiped this out in the the blue strategic guy what's his name again i forgot thrawn grand thrawn. Admiral yeah grand admiral thrawn uh, in the thrawn series that the clone was more elaborated on a little bit and it is war against clone yeah it's very different yeah, <laughs> yes. and it's a much more the implications are much more interesting than what actually happened so to get back on topic that immediately triggered the wonder of like that clone war and then it triggered the oh no <laughs> what the clone war turned out to be exactly yeah <laughs> like i really want to know about this robot war if we're going to find out more about it especially considering she seemed to suggest that she's the last one she said my kind was wiped out and right. and harry mentioning um the robot wars in a uh, the separate scene also talk about how uh like robot, robot sympathizers, sympathizers were hung upside down yeah. in the in the palace so right. um since cleon uh, has ruled this empire forever the implication is that he hung the robot sympathizers but they have a robot behind the throne and i like it is a very intriguing setup and i'm wondering if it's a simple mathematic they they want to keep the last ai on their side right um, simply for strategic advantage or if there's more to that I, um yeah I, I i have a lot of the same questions and like honestly i i was totally fine with them knowing that demers always a robot that's that's fine it's the the thing that concerns me is this whole talk about robot wars and everybody knowing what robots are that just seems really that seems that seems really different from mm -hmm some really important plot points from the books. <laughs> Short aside, when I first heard the phrase robot war, I was like, that's kind of a stupid name for a big event. But then I thought about it, I'm like, we just called it world war. If we <laughs> if we fought a war with the robot, we probably just call it robot war. That seems yeah. logical. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, going back to Damrazol, uh, we touched on it before with her dragging Brother Dusk out of the church. Um, right. And there's also another scene where they snap at her because she says um, kill, making martyrs out of dissidents is not a good habit for empire empire to have. Uh, something along the lines. And he line, says, yeah, so is annoying your emperor. Yeah. yeah. And doesn't flinch. She doesn't. Uh, yeah, she's uh, like, whatever, old man. Yeah, like she seems <laughs> yeah. to be uh, like uh, somebody who's capable of showing emotion. Uh, she's a little bit stoic. But like she, she doesn't seem to flinch and she doesn't seem to waver. Like she does seem to have a lot of power. She's Definitely. almost a power behind the throne, right? Like, yeah, they're not listening to him, but she is heavy. No, she's she she knows how to control. Like I, I think that's that's pretty clear in the series and from the books. Yeah, she was absolutely the power ball, correct? Right. Um. So yeah. And um, she's she's take charge of a lot of brother um, Dawn's education as well. Uh, and he seems yeah. to be very maternally attached to her as well, which of course, because makes sense. Yeah. The, the she doesn't. He doesn't have a mom, so yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> technically, I, he would, but she's been dead for hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't 
I guess we don't really know, know anything yeah, about Cleon. Could yeah. have been completely genetically engineered. Who knows? Right, right. Maybe he's like a sapental kind of deal. Takes up a lot of DNA. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people who tune into this are gonna love your references and hate mine. <laughs> <laughs> or vice versa <laughs> yeah yeah true true and i think that ending scene where um clearly brother dawn was affected by the execution is also like really good uh, with her talking him through it and it yeah ends. and, and uh he says i don't i don't like this i don't want this do i yeah, always yeah. choose this or do i choose this and she says you always choose this yes. but what you pointed out to me that i thought was really clever is that she could be referring to cleon but she could also just be referring to the entire human race yes. you always choose this yeah which I think and especially really because like she specifically talked about alia like your kind wiped out my kind <laughs> like right, she's, yeah. she's under no illusion about that so yeah like and that scene also makes me think about uh Dusk and my theory about Dusk being behind the um, the Sabridge attack to compel day reactive force as well because um, it could just be like a telling things of like hey the Cleons choose the bloody option they always choose right. the bloody option or like I said it could just be like you you mankind is just gonna kill each other like you kill my right. kind you'll kill your kind this is just gonna keep happening so anything else you want to add about the 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 Empire side on that. Thinking. There is one thing I briefly want to touch upon on the colonist side, which is the budget meeting. <laughs> I think <laughs> oh, that yeah. scene is so good. And I'm, it is very well done. I don't want to like sit here and monologue at you for like 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, so I will actually be making a video on my uh, YouTube channel. That's once again, much ado about nerd things. Check it out. More like uh, much ado about nothing. <laughs> same difference <laughs> when you bother to upload things <laughs> well i think this might have uh, lit a fire under my ass to get going again good uh, I will, I will, I will briefly touch upon it. Is like it is such a very efficient screenwriting of the central themes of diversity and the need for it, and how even with the best of intentions, a committee can hegemonize a solution. And the way they highlight that from the angle of math and- yeah, Here we go. The SJW is going to tell me math is racist. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they even try to like defend from that criticism by using math be their metaphor, right? Right, like, right. No, it, yeah. Yeah, I, I get you. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm framing it for the people who will come at me in the comments. <laughs> oh, they'll come at you no matter what. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> no getting away from that. <laughs> they'll think I'm on their side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're playing both sides. How very Harry Seldon of you. <laughs> but yeah, like even. Um, I'll go on in detail later, but the idea that base 10 math, because we see everything in base 10 math, we can't even communicate the other bases properly. And something as fundamental as um, how we count is, uh, you know, it's so important on how we see things, especially if you consider math to be a universal language. No, and like, not to get too nerdy, but like, if you get into like higher mathematics and higher physics, there's a... Uh, a lot of different ways of using math there's like there are different schools of math there's like para parabolic math where like parallel lines intersect twice and there's 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 all kinds of like weird geometries and weird ways of using math that are completely alien to our way of thinking. yes um and they're no less important but they're 
perplexing yeah. for the average Joe. Yeah. yeah. I just think that thing is so good because this show about using math to demystify life, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's show is about like when they try to uh, create a foundation for future of mankind to rebuild, uh, we might not necessarily even agree on the very basic of math and the view might be biased simply because the majority think of it one way i thought that was yeah. very i thought that was very yeah. interesting then on a similar subject different but similar um when when gail you know gets on the stand and stands up for harry she's confronted with like how can we trust you how can you not be biased and she admits that maybe she is and that's perfect that's like great scientific thinking that's that's how that's how it should be like you should always say you should always be upfront. like yeah maybe i am biased yeah um that's important and that's important to critical thinking and yeah. i i fully support that i'm glad that was there and she was also clever enough to point out that maybe you you asked me to be here because i am biased exactly yeah and if any viewers are smart watching that broadcast which they are broadcasting on tv every single smart viewer they ask her to deny harry right exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very clever and very yeah. diplomatic yeah. <laughs> yeah so i'm very so i guess um we all wrapped up on um the first two episodes i'm yeah, very so. excited for the next episode um do you have oh, what do you want uh, what are your like immediate predictions like uh, we know the episode name uh i think it's called like oh, the do we? yeah the mathematician's ghost which okay that kind of <laughs> gives something episode. away doesn't it yeah well <laughs> yeah, they're talking about um gail could be could yeah. be um oh. there, there are a lot of like th through lines that like have been seated that like i know are important that maybe your casual viewer won't know are important <laughs> um well, but, you don't need to touch upon that. You can be as vague no, I'm not or as spoil specific anything. as you yeah. want. There are a Actually, lot of things that I'm keeping an eye on that I think are really cool and are really interesting ways that they're handling certain things. Um, but I, I, like I said, I can't, I can't talk more about that without being spoilery. Right. I, I would want to know a little bit more immediately about circumstances of Harry's death. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope they, they, they stick around long enough for a little more in-depth explanation of that. Right. Um, and yeah. I don't mind if he doesn't turn out to be dead. If he doesn't, but what I want is if he doesn't turn out to be dead, I don't want them to string it along. I don't want the first death to be like a real long fake out. Like right, because like, then we get into Walking Dead there. Right. Yeah. If, <laughs> if the death was faked for a cause to create some effect, I'm completely fine with that. Let the viewer know immediately that's why. Um, yeah, like this, like um, make it like, make it in the next episode, and even if you can early in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. like show Harry Seldon still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And other than that, I guess the other mystery is the star bridge. Yeah. Like, because and like, it's, it's, I'm conflicted because on one hand, I do, I want to know more about the star bridge attack and I want to know more about what happened to Hari, but I also want to go back to 35 years in the future. I really want to see too. more of Salvar Harden. Yeah. I don't want to know what the hell is the vault. vault. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which you, you have more, more insight to because the vault is in the book, right? Yes, absolutely. And um, you were talking about how, this is one thing we didn't talk about, like where you were talking about how how did the vault get there? Like, did they build it or, right. or okay, what? Yeah. 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 One of the things that I talk about, which you didn't react to, uh, which is the way you should be. So I I'm appreciate it, uh, is that I theorize that maybe Harry has psycho history sorted out way in advance. Because the way the way they were talking about earlier in the show about the timing, does it have to be now? It does seem to be some kind of timing is involved, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've been waiting decades. But I'm wondering if 
the vault is essentially the foundation, like the encyclopedia, the, the idea of the encyclopedia uh, Galactica. Galactica, yeah. Maybe it's finished. Maybe he already seeded it on Terminus. Because... Oh, so you think like maybe the encyclopedia Galactica is in the vault? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe it is one and the same. Maybe the vault is that. Um, but my theory for that is he is uh, he gambled on not on exile. He gambled on exile on Terminus, planet that they've mentioned to be close to the two planets that Cleon just mercilessly smote <laughs> like an angry god. And I'm wondering if his plan is to galvanize a force that is in opposition to, equal to is probably too much to hope for, but capable of like bloodying the nose of the empire in the outer rim. And if Terminus is not supposed to, if his plan is Terminus is not supposed to build the, uh, the Encyclopedia Galactica, but activate the vault and using the technology and the knowledge in it, start the foundation of an oppositional force to the emperor. That's my big theory, especially because they're so close to those two planets, right? And those two planets, like, once again, we come back to the modern politic equivalent. Those planets hate the Empire now if they didn't before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to react to it. That's my big... We will definitely revisit this theory of yours later <laughs> when it either proves to be eerily correct or disastrously wrong. Yes, yes. I, I I like the later half of the theory, but I don't really like the idea that uh, Harry have already built the Encyclopedia Galactica. Right. Uh, because that does seem to be a little bit like he's not that old. When did he when did he solve <laughs> this? How did he get the funding? This, it raises a lot of questions, right? <laughs> and I, I think that's 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 kind of part of the story. Um I mean, even from the books, like there's 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 always this question of how much of psychohistory has he actually worked out and when. Yeah. Um, that's that's really important. And yeah. like, it's not something I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to say that's important. Your mind's in the right place. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So shall we wrap this up then? Yeah, I think you're good. All right. Let me just uh, remind everybody that you are Lynn and your YouTube channel is Much Ado About Nothing, right? <laughs> nerd things. Much Ado About Nerd Things. <laughs> And Eric, your YouTube channel is The Unapologetic Geek. Correct. And be sure to go check out uh, your video on Swile and Green and leave the weirdest comment. Yeah, which the, the weirdest thing you can do. think of. <laughs> <laughs> but don't talk about eating baby fetuses. That's that's old news. Come up with something new. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's it from us for this week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, uh, just leave a review for us on your the podcast really platform yeah. of your choice. It really <laughs> helps with discovery and everything. And I know there uh, there's an official foundation podcast, but they're not going to discuss it in depth like we do. It's just glorified director's commentary. And it's I looked at it. It's It'll like just be a circle minutes. jerk too. Yeah, yeah, whatever. How they're can not you even going to mention Gundam or Pantol <laughs> once. <laughs> they're not going to piss off Star Wars people, you right. know. Right. <laughs> That's the point. So, you know, five star reviews time. Yeah, yeah, do it. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, may your foundations be strong. Oh, yeah. <laughs>